There's always a thing, you know? There's always a thing and a thing. They do tend to be a little bit like, what could happen? And there's always a story of what could happen. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. If we run around our whole lives fixing every single problem our kids face, they're screwed. So that's not it. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas. So you don't have to. So, okay, so I think we're hitting on something here. Okay, today we're talking about helping versus helicoptering with our kids. Which one are you? I am definitely not a helicopter parent. I am. I am a helicopter parent. Are you? (laughs) My name is Amy and I am a helicopter parent. (laughs) Identify yourself. Yeah. Um, I am very, I think I'm pretty free range as a parent. I was at the pool yesterday with a group and someone said to me, oh, should we let the kids go to the playground? And they, someone said, oh, don't ask Meg. She lets her kids go anywhere. <laughs> and that's <laughs> definitely true. I'm, I mean, in that sense of taking your eyes off them, letting them kind of wander, I should say my kids are uh, seven, five, and four. So I still have pretty little kids. And I pretty much, especially in a town pool, like I trust the village. I kind of feel like if someone does something wrong, someone's going to come get me. The lifeguards are there if they fall in the pool. But how much do you count on this, on the seven-year-old? Like, I mean, I assume you wouldn't send Peggy to the playground by herself, but with the three of them together, it's like, it's going to be fine. Yeah. And my seven-year-old is definitely a fairly, I say this with love, immature seven-year-old. So he's... He's not in an age where I feel like, I mean, I know friends who have seven-year-old girls who might as well be babysitters. Like they're completely in charge. Right, right. When I say send them to the playground, we're at a pool and the pool has, you know, there's a million moms sitting around the pool and then up a hill, just kind of just out of view, there is a playground. And I know there are other moms there with little kids at that playground. And so if I felt the playground was abandoned, I might not send them completely out of sight. But I feel pretty confident that as long long as I'm in the general area and there are other moms around, I just trust that those other moms, if they see something going wrong, will start looking around and saying, who's your parent? I feel like the, so if you're going to be a good mom, you have to sort of send them over the metaphorical hill, right? You know, you have, you have to do that. Even if, even if there's discomfort for you, you're supposed to do that. And the, uh, you know, the sort of tie line, it gets longer and longer as they get older. So my oldest is 13 and I'm putting him on a plane to California this Sunday by himself. Well, with, with, with another 13 year old, a friend of his, but without me. And, um, he's going to be the unaccompanied minor and he's going to have a, a, some kind of a, you know, card he has to wear around his neck. And he's been on a hundred planes. He's going to be fine. But, but, um, and I think I'm more nervous about this than he is, but I know that it's important for him. He, He's not nervous about it, so it's important for me to let him do it, even though it's a little bit outside. I would never send him without this friend, I guess. So I am seriously considering sending my kids next summer as unaccompanied minor by themselves. They'll be eight, to Texas? eight, six, and five. Yeah. Because realistically, I put them on the plane. Then there's a stewardess on the plane. They're in a metal tube that... They can't get out of. They can get and in then a lot on the trouble f- at the playground. <laughs> on the, the far side of that, their grandparents will be waiting was as they step off the plane. My only fear is that my oldest is a vomiter. That's the thing that I nope, keep coming back yep, to. Yep, they do. And they so do. I just think I he could not manage 
if he was started throwing up, he would just throw up all over himself. He wouldn't manage finding a bag, getting it out, calling over to stewardess saying, I'm not feeling well. I think stewardess is a tune from like the 1970s. That's it not is. What you say it anymore, is. Right? We can, we can, I can uh, change that in post to flight attendant. Oh, <laughs> here's, here's Please. my eight year old. What's up? Oh, the, the plumber needs me. Oh, <laughs> let's, let's pause. Okay. We still how's, recording. How's the plumbing? It's uh, it's, there's always a thing, you know, there's always a thing and a thing. Yeah, so you should definitely put a kid on a plane. It's fine. Although then there was a story in the news about a girl who, like a 13-year-old unaccompanied minor who got molested by a guy sitting next to her when she was an unaccompanied minor. So, Oh, my God. But the, so you, that, that's crazy because you wouldn't think... Right, like because when you think, like, what could happen... Time, hoping, that, hoping to get lucky and sit next to an Sit next to an unaccompanied minor. minor. Like, who thinks of that? Um, so... I do tend to be a little bit like, what could happen? And there's always a story of what could happen. Like there's, there's always, always going to be some weirdo child molester who turns up on a plate somewhere. Uh, so things could happen. Definitely what could happen is my eight-year-old could vomit all over like 12 people and I would not be there to And And don't help. you find, I mean, I, I, like, I was on a plane once with Maggie. She was a baby and she had, oh my gosh, what's that? Uh, norovirus. Norovirus? Oh God. I mean, she was very sick, and it, but, it, but I didn't know that until we had left. I was going to say, should I ask the question why you had a child with norovirus on a plane? No, you know, okay. and, and and she. So she's uh, it. She's like completely fine. You get through security. You're you're on takeoff, and suddenly she's like, she, it's norovirus. She, I mean, she was little. Like she's like, huh? She won't take her bottle, huh? She's you know, it's time for okay. a nap, and she won't settle down. It was like that, and then she and throws then it was up like, all over huh, herself. She's projectile vomiting in yeah. every possible direction. Yes, and I like you know, this is there's a very long version of the story that I tell, but but the but the the point like she threw up repeatedly and i had my five-year-old and three-year-old you know were across the aisle watching a cartoon network we were on JetBlue, so they were you know they were completely they were thrilled yeah they were having doritos and watching cartoon network and didn't know what was happening but these flight attendants like the, the way that they treat like a kid vomiting on an airplane now it's like it's like nuclear waste like they were not only would they not I don't expect them to clean up, but I'm like, do you have anything I can clean up? Like she was throwing up all over me. I'm like, do you have anything I might clean up myself with? And they just handed me those like scratchy, scratchy brown. <laughs> like it was crazy to me that they, they just were like mad. They weren't like, oh no, oh dear, oh let me get you, let me get you some water to wipe. Everybody was just mad at me. If clearly the people around us were mad at me, and then the villaging baby, was the village was not functioning. Not in at favor. all. I mean, there maybe, was no village. You were like you were the village outcast. Somebody might have stepped up if I weren't there. Like maybe she would have been better off <laughs> in her car seat without me. But for me, the bottom line of the helicoptering debate is you really have to think it out. Like what's going to happen? You're going to put your child on a plane at destination A and they are going to arrive at destination B. And there are some things that may go terribly wrong between those two spots such as vomiting (laughs) but none of those things are going to stop the essential overarching objective (laughs) like yes it may be lore in JetBlue history that they had a barfing unaccompanied minor but it's not going to stop your overall objective they will still the plane will still land you're right the plane will land (laughs) and your child will disembark and be in the hands of the person you're trying to send them to oh my god they they may like put that child's picture with like one of those red circles with a slash through it and be like, never again can they come as an unaccompanied minor. But again, it's not going to undermine your overall objective. 
get your child to Texas without you having to go there. Right. No, it's it's like the, it's important for kids to navigate stuff without you navigating it for them, right? So I, my both of my kids are going to sleepaway camp later this summer, um, and and my eleven year old, like heaven help him, you know, I don't know. He he was asking me how often they do laundry. They do do laundry for them. I mean, he's gonna have to like organize a laundry bag to give them, right? But he he said, I think I need seven bathing suits because you could do do laundry once a week, and I said, you have like you need like two bathing suits. Seamus, and we're going to hang the other one out to dry on the clothesline outside your cabin. I mean, he'll never do that. Like by day two, he won't. <laughs> no, he won't he's going to be towel. like, right. He is going to be the moldy kid at camp. Right. Like I can't swim because I don't have a towel or a bathing suit or shoes. Right. I don't know. No, I don't know where they are. He's going to be that kid. But it's it. And, and of course, I'm thinking of that. So, of course, I am going to send him with seven bathing suits. But, it's, <laughs> but it is, no, no, no. But or you could let him learn that life lesson. I am the kid who can't swim because of my moldy suit. Right. I'm trying to set him up for success, but in the end, I won't be there to remind him that he left his backpack, you know, on the floor again. Well, I think you've hit on the crux of the entire issue, which is that we don't want our children to have uncomfortable experiences. We don't want our kids to be because we know our kids really well and we know that our kids will be the kids who can't swim because their bathing suits are moldy. I don't know. So it's I shouldn't tricky. have signed them up for sleepaway camp. That's what you're saying. Uh, it's a terrible it's idea. It's going to be a though. nightmare. Yeah. And they've got to go. <laughs> Your kid's going to be all alone being tortured in a moldy bathing suit. So um, enjoy that summer kid. Um, that. No, I think I, I mean, I, I didn't go to sleepaway camp. And so I was always like, why do why, I guess these parents just don't love their children. I don't really get this uh, exercise. <laughs> but but now my, my oldest one has done it a couple of times and I see it for this opportunity uh, of independence and time away from screens, which is a topic for a different week. But but they need to get they need to get away from their phones and they need to get away from me so they can stop uh, having everything um, done for them and every moment of boredom filled and right. And, and figure yes. some stuff out. Yeah. And I, I mean, there, there is, I, I feel that we have the problem that we all want our kids to be resilient, but we don't want them to have any uncomfortable experiences. And those two things cannot exist simultaneously. So un- uncomfortable experience, right? So, so, um, my kids had a concert, like the, a band concert at the end of the school day. A couple of weeks ago, and um, my middle guy, same guy, of course, doesn't have his uh, blazer. They have to have a blazer. They have, you know, they go to a parochial school, so they have to have their formal dress on. They have to have a blazer. He doesn't have one. He swore to me that morning he did, but he this he's just like forgetful Jones. That's who he is. So he he, he doesn't have one. So um, he they let him call home, and he says, "Mom, can you bring up a blazer so I have one for the concert." And I brought it up. I mean, I was going up anyway for the concert, right? So I bring the blazer. He has a blazer. And there's one kid, his best friend, who's also forgetful Jones, doesn't have one um, because his mom, like, works downtown. So that wasn't going to happen, right? So and then um, afterwards, my husband, my husband doesn't know this whole thing. We're all watching the concert. My husband's like, how come, how come Ricky doesn't have a blazer on? He's the only kid without a blazer on. And I'm thinking... He doesn't get it. I said to him, well, like, the only reason Seamus has a blazer is because I, I just brought it with me when I came just now and, like, rushed it backstage to save him the embarrassment. But then it was interesting that my husband, who I wouldn't think would care about any of this stuff, was like, what? Ricky doesn't have a blazer. And he, and he was, like, you know, the uh, pariah up there, like, white shirt in a sea of navy blazers. Um, I'm not sure what he gets out of that, that kid, other than maybe being a little embarrassed. But I, I don't... 
I also don't know. Maybe the, maybe the downside isn't so great. This is the example that I talk a, a lot about with my husband, that our kid spills a glass of milk, right? You pour, you're pouring milk at dinner. Again, I have littler ones, so these are the kind of dilemmas that we face. And you say to the kid, listen, don't, don't leave your milk there. You're going to knock it over. And five seconds later, they knock the milk over. Then you go, well, no more milk for you. That you'll learn your lesson that you don't, that you don't, you won't spill milk, right? That's like parenting 101, like natural, what do they call it? Natural consequences. Like this is what it is. This is natural consequences. Are they organic? You mean like they're, they're like, Right, that the, that the the idea of like it's natural because letting your kids happened? face the organic consequences of their behavior. Okay. So if I tell you not to put your milk there, then you knock your milk over. You don't have any milk with dinner. Boom, natural consequences. I'm an awesome parent. Then, Dave and my husband and I go to settle down for our dinner, and I go to do something and I knock over a beer. What do I do? I go to the refrigerator and I get myself another beer because that's what I want. And so the question is what people make mistakes all the time and kids make mistakes. And so to have this kind of hard line, like, well, it's natural consequences. It's not really how we live. But at the same time, if you're just constantly fixing every mistake your kid makes, you got a problem there too. The, the, I want to hear more about these natural consequences, though. So it's like you didn't lose screen time for spilling your milk. You just well, your natural your consequence of forgetting a blazer is that you're embarrassed at the concert. Yeah, that's the natural consequence, and that's my what you kid. Have to my, face. my 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 same forgetful eleven year old. He lost his skateboard, a penny board. They cost like a hundred dollars. Santa brought it, so I shouldn't complain. But anyway, he got. Oh, he that was nice of Santa. Yeah, they both had them. And I don't know, at some point in the last couple of weeks of school, he wrote it to school and then after school went to a friend's house or something and didn't pick it up from the lobby. And so now he doesn't have one. And uh, so that's that's a quite natural consequence. And, I, and I, I'm not that much of a helicopter parent. I'm not going to buy him another skateboard when he, that, that he, you know, cared about enough to forget. Um, but uh, he can have he can have one if he pays for it with his own money, his like first communion money that he's still hoarding three years later. <laughs> right. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to break. We're going to take our first break and um, share this little comedy piece with you. And we'll be right back. Beachbody On Demand is back as a sponsor this week. If you're like me, you discovered online fitness as a way to keep your sanity during these last couple of months. And with Beachbody On Demand, you get instant access to 1300 different workouts you can stream anytime. I first learned about Beachbody, and you may have too, from P90X, which is an insanely effective workout, I will say, fun and highly intense. But Beachbody also has yoga, bar, dance. There's a kids and family collection to get everybody moving. It's a huge, huge range of classes. And some of the classes get you results fast. By the time it would have taken you to drive to the gym, you did the 10-minute trainer, you're done. You can use Beachbody on your computer, tablet, phone, smart TV, anywhere you are. Listeners of the What Fresh Hell podcast can try Beachbody for free. You can get a special free Beachbody trial membership when you text laughing to 303030. You will get free full access to the entire Beachbody On Demand platform. All the workouts, all the support, all the content, totally free by texting laughing to 30. 3030. Check it out. Bombas makes the most comfortable socks in the history of feet. I am actually happy when I open my sock drawer and I see those Bombas peeking out. Amy, they spark joy. I'm glad to hear that. And you wouldn't think that socks could spark joy, but 
I know that you're right because I feel the same way. I mean, who would have thought it, Amy? Who would have thunk it? They're like a little bit of happiness in my morning when I have bombas to put on because they they just get all the little details right. The cotton is snugly in a way that I can't fully express. There's no toe seam. <laughs> And there's a part across the middle that's like knit a little differently. So it sort of hugs the arch of your foot. It makes me happy. And I don't care what people say. I love Bombas. I want you to work on expressing about the toe seam, Amy. That's an assignment for <laughs> okay. you. These socks do more than keep your feet cozy, though, Amy. For every pair you purchase, Bombas donates a pair to someone in need. We're talking 34 million pairs of socks and counting through their nationwide network of three thousand giving partners give a pair when you buy a pair and get 20 percent off your first purchase at bombas.com slash laughing that's b-o-m-b-a-s dot com slash laughing for 20 percent off your first purchase bombas.com slash laughing your field guide to the mom species the helicopter mom I want you to text me when you get in the car and from the backseat of the car and also when you get out of the car and also just FaceTime me in between the time you get into the car and out of the car. The tiger mom. I guess if you aren't willing to be duct taped to the piano bench, you're just really not interested in piano. How disappointing. The mom with too many kids. Morgan, mommy will be right there in a minute. Stop pulling on me. Maybe we could exchange phone numbers or have a Tobias. Biting is a no-no. Julia, no more ice cream sandwiches. The mom with not enough kids. He started preschool one day a week. I miss him so much. Instead of driving home after I drop him off, I just wait in the car and I stare at him through the windows the whole time. The I saw an article on Facebook, Mom. Babies are being kidnapped while playing that Pokemon Go. I saw an article about it on Facebook. The trying too hard, Mom. Soccer snack time. Each of you has an individualized cupcake where I've blowtorched an outline of your face and meringue. Please take only your own. The not trying hard enough, Mom. Has any of you guys seen Tyler? This has been your field guide to the mom species from What Fresh Hell. Okay, we're back. And I just want to say, I was a kid who lost everything, everything. And it drove my mother crazy. And my sister just naturally, genetically somehow was great at keeping excellent care of everything. And I'm still the same way. And now I... If I go somewhere and I forget something, I buy a new one. I just fix it for myself. I borrow something. You know, we go on vacation and I realize I've forgotten to pack any underwear at all. I go to Target and I buy a pack of underwear. So nothing about my lifetime of facing natural consequences for being forgetful has fixed the problem of me being a forgetful person. My mom always tells the story that I would go to lunch. I would go to school all the time and forget my lunch. And the, I went to Catholic school and my mom would bring it. And one day the nun at the front desk, cause she would drop it off to said, you know, if you stopped bringing it, she would stop forgetting it. And she did stop bringing it, but I never stopped forgetting yeah, it. Yeah, I totally agree. They don't, I don't think it's quite such a, a one-to-one. It is like, not. Oh, there's a, a lesson to be learned and it's a teachable moment. And Mm, I think some kids just are super, super forgetful. And so I think I would have brought the blazer because you're coming anyway and you've got it in your hands. Okay. Right. It's not, it's not adding. I wasn't driving an hour out of my way to, to rescue something. I was right. 
Would you do it for your husband? Is it maybe that's it? Like I would have done that for my husband, so I'll do it. I'll do it for my kid. Yeah, I'm not like be, is that be. a good arbiter of it, right? Or would you do it for yourself? Would I do it for myself? Would yes. you ask someone to do it for you? I would. Uh, but clearly, if we run around our whole lives delivering every, fixing every single problem our kids face, they're screwed. So that's not it. So okay, so I think we're hitting on something here. Then that if that if you know if if your middle kid is ADHD and forgetful and forgets his backpack every day and and letting him have the natural consequences means he doesn't have his backpack or you didn't have lunch or whatever, that it doesn't right. it doesn't change it's not teachable in a way that's going to change the behavior then maybe that kid does need support in that way but if yeah. it's a kid who can stop um, you know forgetting their number two pencil uh, and get their act together then then you shouldn't provide that support or you should start to pull it away. And I guess the only way you'll, you'll find out if your kid can make the adjustments or not is by by not helicoptering, <laughs> by pulling away the support and seeing what happens. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very... I, I, I'm, I think, and I think when in doubt, let your kid be more miserable because our inst- it's working against your own instinct, which is... That's very tweetable. When in doubt, let your kid be more miserable. Yes, <laughs> I Tweet think that. it's Tweet true. That, it's definitely <laughs> true. Um, because the, the sensation of being miserable is what is the kind of only hope for leading to a change of behavior. I mean, if every jacket is delivered and every glass of milk is cleaned up and every problem is solved, you don't have the experience of, I don't like this feeling, how can I not have this feeling again? And it may not lead to a change of behavior, but you got to at least give it a chance. My oldest kid reminded me last night, he was on a trip to D.C., so he's 13, took a bus trip to D.C. with the 7th and 8th grade, and they showed Finding Nemo to the kids in the, <laughs> the bus, which I love, the school. Like, to 8th graders? Yeah, keep them young. That's you hilarious. Watch Finding Nemo. Especially considering I know for a fact that someone on my 8th grade field trip that involved an overnight bus to Washington, D.C. got pregnant on the bus. Come on. I love that they're like, hey, let's show Finding Nemo. That Come seems on. appropriate. Okay, you know, the, yeah, these kids are, are, I think, younger than that, in a way. Anyway... They they watch Finding Nemo and he said, Mom, there was this whole first part that I didn't even know was in the movie. You know, the first 10 minutes of the movie, his mother gets eaten by a shark. Yeah. We watched that once when he was like three and he was very like, where'd the mommy go? And he was so upset that I protected him from that by like the 700 times we watched the movie. I just would skip to chapter two. So it started (laughs) with, you know, Nemo, like first day of school and anemone. We just started there. That's where he thought the movie started. And, uh. Maybe that's excessive, that's but look. But but now I have a thirteen-year-old who still loves Finding Nemo. So I think I think I've yeah. Uh, I, it's all it's all a work in progress. But so so we need to let them fail in little ways, right? I the um, I, I went to a Yale College thing recently, and the dean of Yale College was speaking to some of us, and it's interesting because I've been out of college for twenty-five years, so now I'm a much more, of course, taking the parents' perspective than the students' perspective. Right. Like I'm imagining yeah. myself as a parent of a of a college student, not as that college student myself. And and we asked what I'm sure you always get asked. So what's what's the difference um, in this sort of helicoptering age? And he told the story of being a uh, being a college student and calling home once a week. I'm sure you did the same thing. I called home once a week on Sundays because the long distance was cheaper per minute. It was 10 cents a minute on Sundays and it was more during the week. 
and I talked to my parents once a week and that was it. And he also talked to his parents once a week. And, and one week his dad said, so uh, is everything okay? And, and he said, yeah, why dad? And he said, because you're calling every week. And, and now there are kids who are checking in with their mom about, should I have chickpeas for lunch or should I have Right, the they're pain? checking in once every 10 minutes. Every 10 minutes. And, and he said we, that the message we have to give to parents nowadays is let them fail. You've spent a lot mm-hmm. of money to send them here. Send them to us. This is a safe place for them to fail. Don't fix their problems. Let them have their problems in this safe space. Now, obviously, yes, like, but I would argue blackout is one thing and like feeling, mm, you know, getting I would argue very, very strenuously that if you have not started letting them fail when they're four, you're not going to start when they're 18 <gasps> in college. That's it. Yeah. You're not going to be able to do you're it. You're not going to be able to start or they got to start now. Like you got to let them fall off the bike. You got to let them forget their blazer. If you haven't been practicing the skill of letting your children soar without you and fail without you, that's not starting when your kid is 18 years old. There's no way. You're right. It's too late. It's way too late. It's way too late. And then it's not even going to end when they're 30 and married. You're going to be running, you know. You're going to be the mother-in-law ironing their underwear yes. for them. Somebody was saying that on Facebook last night that her 25-year-old brother, you know, his pants weren't ready for work the next day. And her mother, you know, her 60-year-old mother was like, oh, my God, what's he going to wear to work tomorrow? And she like, yeah, I, I, she's like, I couldn't hold in the rage anymore. He's 25 years old. <laughs> that's that's yeah. not your job. You got to start early. It's, 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 that's another reason it's important to not helicopter in the forgotten lunch ways so that there's when you come to the my daughter's throwing up and refuses to go to school ways you you can get more involved but you also have a kid who is more schooled in the ways of self-advocacy because you haven't done every single little thing for them along the way yeah and and there's definitely room within that to say there's room to temper always uh lesson learning with compassion so maybe you don't bring every blazer but you can say like in this situation, I would do it for my husband. I would do it for myself and I'm going to help you out and I'm going to be compassionate to you and do something to help you with the problem that you're having. Um, but I'm not going to solve every single one of your problems because I want you to develop the resilience that is necessary for functioning in the world. There's an article, it's a psychiatrist or a psychologist talking about how she, in the history of her practice, always saw patients who would come in their 20s and she would say like, okay, what's the issue in your sort of family of origin? And they would say, oh, well, my dad's an alcoholic or my mom, you know, beat us or this is the terrible problem I had in my home life. And they would sort of work on those issues. And that at a certain point, she started to see 20 year olds, 20 somethings who came in with this just very generalized malaise. And they were saying like, my whole life was perfect. I always was told I was so special. Everything was, every birthday was, you know, a pony and every Christmas was magical and every day of my life was so special. And now I'm here in my 20s just feeling like, where is my special life? Now I'm just a regular person in the regular world. And I think that's a really interesting thing to think about that the the need, I mean, I was just reading somebody on Facebook, you know, every Facebook post that I see from friends of mine, 
is, you know, a picture of their kid and it's like, she writes her name in fire. And it's just these like, you know, everybody's <laughs> very excited about how special their kids are, which is great. Like, I'm glad that you feel that your child is someone so awesome. But there is a weird flip side to that. Like, your kid is also just a regular person in the real world. And so like, yes, they write their name with fire in your eyes, but that might not be the only message you want your kid receiving from you. Because they're going out into a world that's not going to be like, oh, hi, applicant for a secretarial position. You write your name with fire. That's you can get. So so your kids don't tell your kids they're special is is the takeaway. Don't (laughs) ever tell them anything. They're ordinary. Just ordinary. But I mean, the difference between I mean, it is worth examining the difference between a childhood where every child is told you write your name with fire from a childhood where I was told, like, you could lose a few pounds and set the table. Like, it's a very different childhood. And I'm not saying we should tell our children that they could lose a few pounds, but we have to examine the difference between these two, those two places. So they need to hear the tough messages from us. No, I'm not bringing the blazer and you're a disappointment. <laughs> I think that's, I it think does that's make what you we, funny. I think, I think funny people, I think funny people have <laughs> tough parents, like little yeah. failure. Had- and probably, I mean, I, my, I'm sure I would be funnier if my parents were a little tougher. I mean, we didn't come from this, you know, the, 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 the hard knock life, but I feel like I have somewhat of that malaise that the psychiatrist is talking about just in that I did have kind of a magical, easy, special childhood with like nice parents. My siblings got along. We did a lot of really special things. And I definitely in my twenties dealt with a lot of like panic attacks and problems that I think were related to like every day is not like this warm embracing cushion of childhood. And, but I I didn't have it anything like you will write your name with fire. I mean that that that's a totally mm-hmm. different ball game. And I do think, you know, you you don't have to beat your kids down, but I, I, I everything you say is worthy of an Instagram post is 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 a bridge too far. Yeah. It's like 86 bridges too far. So you're raising adults and and I, 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 that, you know, that book, how to raise an adult, I guess I thought it meant how to raise an adult that will be a good adult when they're an adult. But really, I think it's about, I haven't even read the book, but it, but I I think what you're saying. Neither have I. So let's just just assume. Imagine what it's about. No, but I mean, there's another meaning there, which is like you, you, you are setting the seeds at a very young age of, of resilience. It isn't so they'll be resilient when they're 25 and you haven't screwed them up and too late. It's so they'll be resilient now. I think that's right. I think that that, that that if we've arrived at any conclusion, it's that you this idea that you will take care of your children and then suddenly end up with adults is incorrect, that you have to teach that resilience. You have to model it and you have to interact with your children in a way that says, like, you, you have some responsibilities you're not the specialist snowflake in the world and uh, you know, get with the program and go to the playground by yourself. You're four now. (laughs) For a final take on today's topic, here's a piece by Brenna Jennings of SuburbanSnapshots.com. It's called, it's okay to ignore your children and listen to this. When I was little, my parents got divorced. 
My mom and stepdad were no sugar in your Kool-Aid broke, and my two younger sisters and I were tyrants. Our parents worked. They worked and worked and worked, and when they weren't working, they were cleaning up after us, or making dinner, or feeding dogs, or trying to find three minutes of peace and quiet. I was babysitting my sisters after school by fourth grade. My mom tried hiring people to watch us, but we'd either drive them off or they cost too much, or both. We never thought we had enough of mom's attention. We'd badger her when she locked herself in the bathroom to make calls. She couldn't shower alone or nap. She couldn't leave the house without at least one of us hanging off the cuffs of her pants. When she'd go to work, my sisters and I would argue and call her repeatedly to settle it. Stephanie wants the volume at 8, but I want it at 7 so I can watch TV and do my homework. Shannon's not cleaning her room. When I said I was calling you to tell on Steph, Shannon said she wanted to call you first. On weekends, Mom would drag the three of us to the laundromat with no-frills black garbage bags full of dirty clothes, and we'd entertain ourselves in front of the strip mall, nagging in turn for quarters to feed the soda machine. My mom would get up with me at 6 a.m. and type my book reports. She'd drive us to Taco Bell at 2 in the morning if we woke her up and said please. She'd treat us to the 222 special at Friendly's if we managed to behave for more than five minutes, and we still didn't think we had enough of her attention. When I was in eighth grade and my parents were at work, I accidentally set my bed on fire. We shared our house with a tenant who was able to drag the flaming mattress out the front door and onto the lawn while I called my mother at work hysterical, convinced I'd be sent to a home for juvenile delinquents. Instead, my stepfather, who has never been afraid of discipline, said, I think you already learned your lesson. And my mom cried that maybe she should quit her job. Back then, there was no internet, and so no one could publicly reprimand my mom for working while her eldest child, clearly neglected and derelict, was at home lighting her sisters on fire. There wasn't a platform for sanctimonious posts to go viral, heaping on the guilt that parents already feel for not having their hearts and eyeballs fixed on their children every precious second of every fleeting day. There was no one to post a YouTube video of my sister and I toppling a metal grocery cart with our toddler sibling perched in front, spinning as she hit the sidewalk face first, and no comments from anonymous users about how inattentive our mother must have been. This post is for my mom and all the moms, because now I know how many sacrifices it took to raise us, and now I understand the unshakable guilt in parenting, and now I realize that I had all the attention I could ever need and that moms deserve time when they're not tending to kids, and that no one has a right to say how moms spend that time. No one gets to decide what's worthy and what's wasted. Moms, the kids are all right. It's the people trying to convince us otherwise who are in desperate need of attention. You can find Brenna on Facebook at Suburban Snapshots or on Twitter at Suburban Snaps. All right, so are you a helicopter mom, a helper mom, or a hell if I know where my kids are mom? Come join the conversation on Facebook at What Fresh Hell Podcast or on Twitter at Hellfresh. Or visit our website, whatfreshhellpodcast.com for links to other episodes and some of the things we've discussed on today's show. If you enjoy the show, please give us a rating on iTunes and reach out to us with questions or show topic suggestions by email at whatfreshhellpodcast at gmail.com. Music for our comedy piece was composed by Liz Fedor. Thanks for listening. <laughs>